One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. Hello, everyone. It's come to my attention that some of you are clamoring for the various part twos that are waiting in the wings of these podcasts. So today you get your wish. But be careful what you wish for, because this will be part two of my keynote talk at the Bushcraft Symposium in Alberta, Canada. It would help if you listened to part one, and then you would know that this next bit was all about addressing the elephant in the room, survival television. Why is it an elephant? because it was a room full of survival instructors. The story of creating the zeitgeist of survival TV had to fit within these next 20 minutes, but in truth, I could have spent a couple of hours navigating the twists and turns of the venomous television industry. As I like to say, the TV industry makes the music industry look safe and benign. But I digress. About halfway through, I will interrupt my own keynote to bring you in on a little something I didn't know at the time. Let's just say I didn't know who else was sitting in the audience that day. I know it's pure vanity when I suggest that without Survivor Man as the zeitgeist, you don't get Man vs. Wild or Dual Survival or Naked and Afraid or Alone. All of those, along with another 20 versions of reality TV survival within the massively profitable industry known as Survival TV, owes a debt to Survivor Man, plain and simple. When I tried to first get my show on air, I was turned down by a bigwig producer who literally said, lest no one is ever going to want to watch people surviving on TV. Let that sink in for a second. No one is ever going to want to watch people surviving on TV. Yeah, I knew she was making a mistake, and I proved it. So let's listen in on part two of my Bushcraft keynote. Here are more words from, well, once again, me. No one will know. And I, I, just look, I just looked her back and said, I'll know. I'll know. I got kids at home. I want to look them in the face and kiss them goodnight and not be a fraud. Holding on to what was lost. Life's true meaning is the cause. And then they're sitting on the shore somewhere and they're looking across at a bunch of cattail being told they can't touch it because we need you here for the scene. So you can't go over there. You have to stay here. To go to the elephant in the room, which is the fifth category, <sighs> television survival. Yeah. Sorry. Why is it even an elephant in, in the room? For this, I need to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Rewind 
to a film we were talking about recently, which was an NFB film, very cheesy, very cornball, done in the 70s. It's about a guy who goes out to survive overnight. And you, you could kind of see how it was really poorly put together. I watched that in survival class. And I remember watching that. And for clarity or full disclosure, I had a background and have a background in rock and roll and music. And I worked on rock videos and produced rock videos all before my survival days. So I understood filmmaking and editing and camera work. Okay, so I'm watching the film and I'm thinking, damn, that's really poorly done, but that's a good idea. Because I was thinking all along I was going to do home videos on survival skills. And this would have been, sorry to date myself, but VHS tapes. <laughs> that's what I was going to do. And I saw that and I thought, huh. But if I actually had to stay out, which I like to do anyway, because at this point I'm geeking out on this stuff, and I filmed myself, I could really show what it means to need a fire. At the same time, I first discovered, and again, for all of you under 40s, and if you're Canadian, and if you especially come from Ontario, you need to know who Bill Mason is, and you need to research Bill Mason films. Well, that's right. And again, once a year, watch Waterwalker. February, when it's snowing, watch Waterwalker and drool. So I knew that he was the only person with a bold X, big, heavy, that ever filmed himself. And I thought, I, I can do this. Fast forward to 2000. I'd had all those years of being an outdoor guide extraordinaire, whitewater canoeing. I ran dogs for three years, winter camping and all, snowshoeing and everything, all of that stuff that we love, backpacking and hiking and sea kayaking, all of that stuff that we love. I did all that, but I also did survival constantly. I apprenticed, I ran my own company, I taught the wild edible plants courses, I did all that. And what that did, as a, by the way, as an outdoor guide, was it really enriched me as a guide because I was the one geek working for Blackfeather Wilderness Ventures. We go on a hike and I go, oh, hey, everybody, you know, you can eat these. <laughs> and I was that guy, which by the way, for clarity, we are all survival geeks. That's why we are here. Outside of this building, they think we're weird. <laughs> and I was very proud to be a survival geek. But on the other hand, my old performing juices have never died. And I thought, but I can make it cool. <laughs> so I've got that film in my brain and water walker in my brain and rock video making in my brain and all these years of teaching and learn survival in my brain. Now I go out and I spend a year living in the woods and we did it as if it was 500 years ago. No metal, no matches, no plastic, no nylon. About three quarters of the way through, we did have to compromise with a trapper's tin wood stove, that kind of, and an ax. But I went out with my wife at the time and we spent that year living in the bush. And I thought, I should film this. The only other type of filming like this going on really was Warren Miller. So I filmed it. Now, all of the survival films, you say, oh no, but there was survival films going on. No, they sucked. <laughs> the survival films that existed, if they were produced by a survival person or a bushcraft person, were terrible filmmaking and were very hard to watch. We as geeks would watch them religiously more than once. But as a filmmaker, eeh. The other version were the filmmaker versions. Usually local news team comes out to film bushcraft symposium right? And their filming is very good. And their stories suck because they don't know how to do a fireball. They don't know the skills. They don't know the rich texture and the beauty of sleeping in a shelter all night. They don't know that. They just need to shoot with their Sony Betacam, get the shot, get the B-roll, get out, get it on the local news. 
So those existed. That's all that existed. I will give a kudos, by the way, and again, this is part of your history lesson. I'll give a, a kudos. I did actually love Bush Tucker Man. I thought it, it was cool. He didn't actually just go out and survive, but he was teaching really wonderful skills. I loved, I caught him sort of at one point going, oh, this guy's cool. And uh, I, not being in the UK, I had not seen any of the Ray Mears stuff. There was just Bush Tucker Man. That was about it. But then along came, I'm sorry to even say the word, it's like speaking Voldemort, Survivor. Survivor came along, Mark Burnett's Survivor series. And what happened was I had released Snowshoes in Solitude, the year about living in the woods. And it won a couple of local awards. And so I got these calls to come and do radio interviews. And the question of the day was, well, you know, you do this survival stuff and you're a filmmaker. Is this real? And of course, no, of course it's not real. It's outward bound, done with adults and a bunch of hard bodies. It's got nothing to do with survival. This is so far from David Halliday <laughs> that it's not funny. So uh, I would be giving those interviews. And I thought, wait a minute, now's the time. And that's when I made the call and I said, okay, look, I am a filmmaker, here's my calling card, but I'm also a survival instructor. I can put the two together, go out by myself, spend seven days alone, film it properly, and bring it back in with the story. And actually the answer in that particular phone call was a cold call and she said, we were looking to do something just like that and we didn't know who to call. So it was right place, right time. In many ways, for me, the rest is history. Ah, but there was a turn. There was a twist. It became popular, really popular. It went off to over 120 countries around the world. The networks got very excited. They were making money, a lot of money. The problem is that in filming Survivor Man, I was doing six a year. I know that if I ask any one of you, would you like to go out and survive hardcore for seven days, six times this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, okay, machismo, no, no. Most of you go, Pfft. I'll go out once next August when the bugs are gone, <laughs> and we're done, okay, Stroud? Well, six was intense and hurt. I had to give myself two months in between because, why? Because I was actually doing it. So the networks come because it's a very big hit now. And over the course of a year throughout the second season of Survivor Man, I was pleaded with, come on, Les, you don't need to actually sleep out there. You don't need, take a crew, we need you to take a crew. They'll build the shelters for you. You get all the different scenes, we'll whiz you around, you'll jump off cliffs, you'll do these great, crazy things. You go and you stay in a hotel at night. And then, uh, <laughs> these are, this is an official dinner times three with a network gatekeeper the woman who was in charge. And these were serious discussions. Why? Because they needed 26 episodes, not six. They needed to up that money. So we need numbers. Come on, man, quantity and survival, it doesn't go together. They didn't understand and I sat there just like, no. And this was actually said, less, condescendingly. No one will know. <laughs> And I, I, just look, I just looked her back and said, I'll know, I'll know. I got kids at home. I wanna look them in the face and kiss them goodnight and not be a fraud. So this happened and by the time I got my, my third or fourth no back to them, they basically just then said, okay, Bristol Productions, yeah, come on, we'll have a meeting in New York. Yes, bring Bear with you. <laughs> So 
So there was an official meeting in a boardroom with all the executives, Bristol Productions, Bear Grylls. They watched every single Survivor Man episode. I know this for a fact. And then they were told, go everywhere that Les just went. That's how they created the first season. The first season of Man vs. Wild was meant to be, he's really doing it. No matter what he says, no matter what anybody else says, I was there when they got pseudo sort of caught, like that he stayed once. The whole thing was manufactured and staged. They pulled the entire first season off the air, re-edited it, put it back out, reducing all of the blatant lies. That is how it started for that version of what happened. Allow me to interject a little more clarity to this moment. In fact, five of the most blatantly faked episodes of season one of Man vs. Wild, too far gone to re-edit into something seemingly authentic, have never been re-released. After that, it simply became a game of constantly increasing the disclaimer off the top of the show, combined with a lot of backtracking saying, oh, no, we, we always meant to show that there was a camera crew. No, they didn't. If you truly listen to when certain people speak, for example, Bear Grylls, listen carefully, because in his case, he speaks in perfect political rhetoric, leading you down and away from your original question without ever answering it honestly. He did it on Letterman. He did it to a young boy in Australia at a meet and greet. And masked by his charm, he never falters in his concealment of the truth. According to one of his survival consultants, he used to walk around the set of Man vs. Wild saying, I hate this survival shit. I was also told by my moles at the network that they spent an incredible amount of money into the millions to buy his ratings and propel Man vs. Wild, a show they owned, past Survivor Man, a show they didn't own. In the end, why do I care? I care because somewhere, some young person is being taught the wrong kinds of survival skills. And I can lay the blame on the heads of the TV producers, but the participants, like Mr. Grills, and like those on the show alone, always have a choice to go along with it or not. Bear wanted to be a TV star. He clearly got his wish. Authenticity be damned. Little old me over here, making one two hundredth the amount of money that these next groups of people were going to make, didn't give a crap. Why? Because I knew Dave Westcott's book and Morris's book and David Halliday. I had spent many, many nights busting my knuckles trying to flint nap an arrowhead. I had way too much respect for all of the skills that you guys know, the bushcraft, the primitive earth technology and basic survival understanding to say, sure, I will make a show out of this. Let's make a thing. Let's make a parade out of it. And so you have this situation that developed where that show blew things up and from then the cascading of shows, you know them all. Reality is every single one of those shows had to be staged because you cannot actually do this again and again and again without killing people. So things had to be staged. Why else did it have to be staged? Because in many ways, it's freaking boring out there. It's boring. I got accused of having a boring show at times because it is boring. Sure, it's great while you're working on your fireboat. Sure, it's great while you're building up your A-frame. But how many hours of the day when you're actually alone out there and spending all that time, do you get pretty lonely? You just want to see your partner again, your kids. It's lonely and it's boring. They couldn't have that. 
And so the manufacturing of the storyline is what began. And how does that even happen? Well, for example, we'll take a show like Naked and Afraid or Alone. The situation there is, this is the one give back I'll do. This is me now addressing the elephant in the room. The, the situation I will give because I have met some of the people who are on is that, are they actually suffering? In the case of Bear, no. In the case of Dual Survival, no. Five Fat Guys in the Woods, no. On and on it goes, no. However, in Alone and Naked and Afraid, they really are hurting. They really are suffering. The problem is they're not hurting because of a realistic survival situation. They're not hurting because they're dealing with a realistic, they are non-survival instructors being asked to do skills they know nothing about because a producer in LA opened up Morse's book to page 63 and said, let's do this one. <laughs> hey, we'll get them to do this. Hey guys, look at this one. We'll get them to do this one. And then they're sitting on the shore somewhere and they're looking across at a bunch of cattail being told they can't touch it because we need you here for the scene. So you can't go over there. You have to stay here. And the same thing with alone. There are producers who know nothing about what any of you people know who are dictating these survival stories. This is the elephant in the room. This is watching what all of you have created and been impassioned by and in love with for all these years be bastardized by people who don't care about fireballs. They don't care what a basswood tree really looks like. They don't care about flint napping. It's, it became this other thing. Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself right there to point out what I didn't know about the audience that day, and it's this. There were nine people sitting there who had actually all been on the show alone, as well as the head survival instructor for the series. In truth, they were hurt by what I said, because they did indeed love the skills, and many of them were indeed instructors, and most of them were Survivor Man fans. The fault was mine because I hadn't been clear enough in my talk my strongest criticism was truthfully pointed at Naked and Afraid, Dual Survival, and Man vs. Wild, amongst many others. In fact, it's true, and I'm not backpedaling here, that I do give credit where credit is due. And it's easy to tell that contestants, and that's an important distinction, by the way, on the show alone, are truly hurting, surviving, and suffering, and for the most part, except for the camera crew coming in to get their footage and give them batteries and check on their health regularly for the sake of the insurance company, uh, they are alone. By the way, whenever I speak with disdain for survival reality television, I do not include Ray Mears. That guy is and has always been the real deal. Now here's the rub about those nine people and head instructor for the show alone that were in the room. In the end, I did get together with them to chat. They kind of cornered me actually a day later. I apologize for not making myself clearer of who was in my sights in that talk of mine, mostly naked and afraid. As I know they, on a loan, were experiencing, to some degree, actual survival during their stint on the show. Then they explained to me that, in fact, alone contestants go to a survival boot camp where they watch, wait for it, Survivor Man episodes. And consider this story. One of the contestants on a loan said, well, in fact, I made a net and caught five fish with it, but they wouldn't show it. They cut it all out. And I said, you've just made my point for me. You made a net and you caught five fish, and the producers took it out of the show because then you don't look like you're suffering, which is what they need for ratings. My point entirely. I would have highlighted all of that if I was producing because it's beautiful. And so that is who was getting my ire up when I said they don't care about this stuff. The producers in Los Angeles or wherever who are editing contrived scenarios any way they want to make a show to get ratings to make money. 
Survivor Man is a documentary series. The rest of them are staged reality shows. So in the end, we made friends, and they are to be respected for going through their various ordeals while making the show alone. But on the matter of claiming innocence as to knowing they will have no say in the editing of the show or of their stories, well, you can always say no. From the album Off the Grid, Barn Sessions 3, this is my song, The Cost.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. Survivor Man was on for 18 years. It could still be on. If I wanted to call him tomorrow and say, you want a bunch more Survivor Man, I'd probably get a yes. In all that time, I just said, screw it to all you guys. And I would not, I've been asked to be on all those other shows. No, I think we, somebody pointed out recently, it is now a badge of honor amongst real bushcraft people to say no. Why is that? Because unfortunately, the dark side of this, and there is a silver lining, by the way, the dark side of this is that some of us have been hurt by it. Some people here have been stabbed in the back. How so? They're drawn into the production. They're paid some money. They're consultants for the show. They're asked to speak and answer about certain things. And then when it goes back to Los Angeles, it's edited any way they want to edit it into something that never happened, done by people who don't know what they're doing, doing a skill they have no idea what it's actually supposed to be used for. And that's what the mass public is forced to watch. We don't care about the mass public because we are a bunch of bushcraft survival geeks. <laughs> this is the beauty of all of us here, is that who cares? Look at, you're all here. I, and there's over 200 people here. And you're all in love with these skills. And there are rendezvous happening still to this day and skills courses going on. The silver cloud lining to the television industry survival debacle uh, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars now, is that one thing it did do was inadvertently, it did light some fires under people to get to think about wanting to go out in nature. The silver cloud lining is that it speaks to that thing I wanted to do and did do, which is connect people to nature, but get them thinking about going out there, kids especially. This part is vital. What we're kind of about is now deprogramming what they saw, and I know some of you had to deal with this, deprogramming the skill they saw on Naked and Afraid and saying, nah, okay, okay, first of all, and showing them the beauty of what David Westcott and Morse Kochansky and Jim Riggs and Watts and Halliday and McPherson and Larry Dean Olson uh, have shown us, <laughs> brought about. And I'm sure if I sat down you know, uh, with any of those gentlemen said, where did you first? They're gonna say, yeah, I just really loved nature and the skills. I wanted to be a Bushman. I wanted to, Robert Redford, Jeremiah John. I wanted to be that, man. For me, if you look at Survivor Man, um, what is Survivor Man? It's a hybrid between two television series I adored. Number one, you only got to see every once in a while, Jacques Cousteau. Number two, Johnny Weissmiller and Tarzan movies. <laughs> and if you think about it, what is Survivor Man? if not a hybrid between Jacques Cousteau, my filmmaking, and Tarzan. <laughs> and that's me playing. 
So to this day, this is why I'm and try and bring this home. This is why I'm here now. This is why I was honored to have been called to come here. There's the irony with me. There's that guru aspect. Now, why is that? Here's the reason why I'm on TV and David Halliday isn't. I'm way cuter, number one. <laughs> I'm a showman. That's what I love, presentation, storytelling. I mean, it's what I love about my music and my writing. Every song I write now is about connecting to nature or a call to action or celebrating nature. So at the time, recycling back, at the time I understood something. I understood that I knew how to operate that camera a lot better than, well, than David. I knew how to operate, no, it's light. You guys know that I adore David. And Andre-Francois Bobo. I knew how to live and swim in the world of media entertainment and yet keep it authentic and keep it real and honor these skills. If I were to dishonor earth skills, it'd be no less of a bad thing for me than if I dishonored my family because connecting to nature is what I wanted. The skills were the facilitation, but I understood another layer of facilitation and that was the camera the storytelling, how to speak concisely. We've been talking about this a lot in a new series that I'm just starting with Kevin Kosowin, uh, which is about wild edibles and all of that, and that is the nuances. I can't, you all know this, you can't teach somebody a fire bow in three minutes. So Survivor Man, I've got my whole story to film, really the fire bow section needs to be three minutes. But I still go on and do all the other stuff, making a, a short film that's, 45 minutes long, because that's how you can actually get a lot of the information out. On television, this is boring, except for us geeks, <laughs> right? We'll watch hours of flint napping. I mean, really? <laughs> we'll sit there going, Copper tip. <laughs> so, we will do this, all right? But the television industry won't. It needs three minutes. I understood how to kind of make it sexy, kind of be cool with it. But again, my own respect for the skills held me back from saying at that dinner, very fancy dinner in Las Vegas, hey, good idea. Let's get a crew in there and I'll stay in the hotel. I don't know, I'm gonna end right there. <laughs> Found it. So at this point in the keynote, it was the standard Q&A session. And I thought I would leave in one of the questions for you. And it was about two things. One was that he was making a point against mine, that your five senses come alive in the wilderness to create your sixth sense, which we call instinct. And again, I guess I wasn't clear enough, as I didn't mean that nature is the only place, just the best place for this to happen. And his point was that you can have that happen in the middle of a city, sitting in your cubicle in an office. Okay, fair enough. And the second part of his question was about my thoughts of appearing on First Man Out. Now, what he couldn't have known was that, in fact, just before getting there, I had nothing short of seven emails from the production company wanting to get me to appear on that show. Here's my answers to both his comment and his question. First of all, I hate the city. 
So to me, I just want to be in nature. I lived in, I grew up in a city, grew up in Toronto. I worked downtown. I just hate the city. To me, it is about nature. The skills can adapt. That's why I said emergency preparedness. It's great. It's a whole other layer. Being attuned in the city is another whole other layer. I accept that. I'm just saying on a personal level, I hate the city. I, I want to be out here. I want to be in, in these hills and these trees. And number two, the Ed Stafford situation. I have emails to be on that show. I won't go on it. And this is, again, a philosophical stance that is only my own. It's only an opinion, just like I hate the city is an opinion. All right, and this is my opinion. To me, survival is not about competition. I'm not... If, if I go out with Andre Barbeau or Dave Halliday, I'm not competing against David Halliday. I never have been. And this is a big problem I have with a lot of these, again, that layer of television episodic survival stuff. It's all about competing. If I go out with Matt Graham, just got off of the show. I'm a good friend of Matt's. If I go out with Matt, I'm not going to see who's a faster runner. You know, it's not, that's not survival. Survival, again, is not to be made light of. This is the thing about survival in that category. It's not to be made light of. It's not fun. It's not, oh, I got better leg muscles and I'm more ripped than you. That's not it. Survival is something you get through. And knowing all these other skills will help you to get through it. But I do have a, obviously, even with a little bit of an irk and an ire up on shows that make survival be about competing. If we go back to the primitive earth technology, again, aloneness is banishment. You know, community is surviving. Community is thriving in nature, with nature. So that's just purist or not, right or wrong. It's just my opinion. That's where I come from. I left the instructor for the show alone with a parting thought. Tell your new contestants at Survival Boot Camp, in between watching episodes of Survivor Man, this. They only have control of two things, what they say and do on camera. So if you make an amazing fishnet, then make sure that it's in behind you in every single scene you shoot. If you catch a bunch of fish, talk about them constantly. In essence, you still have very little control on what they're going to do when they get back to their edit suites, but make it as difficult as possible for them to manipulate your words, turn around your story, make it look like things happened that didn't, and make it look like things didn't happen that did. I know how exciting it must be to get a chance to be on one of these shows, but unless you're interested in being in a reality series akin to Hollywood Housewives or Jersey Shores, then do this. Try to keep things as straight as possible so they can't turn your words around on you. Because you know at some point, the editor and the producer are going to be in that edit suite, cursing you, scratching their heads, and then finally admitting, okay, I guess we have to show the scenes with the fish. Otherwise, we can't tell his full story. And when the real story comes through, we, the viewers, get to see actual survival, not some silly, made-up scenario by a producer in Los Angeles who doesn't know the difference between a hiking boot and a snowshoe. The story of survival television will always be much bigger than I can squeeze into this little chat. In the end, if I were to say to you, I'm not bitter about the heads of Discovery Channel taking my idea and concept, Survivor Man, and ripping it off to capitalize on my creativity to make up for their lack of creativity, well, I'd be lying. I'm only human. But I'd also be lying if I said I was anything but very proud of inventing and creating a series and a concept, Survivor Man, 
that would go on to be copied throughout the TV industry worldwide, becoming a powerful concept and an incredibly lucrative one for thousands of people. I love my work and life as a documentary filmmaker, author, and writing and recording musician. And one single idea made the success of it all possible. Survivor Man. Surviving these podcasts is my engineer, Keith Oman, and I'm surviving, so far, being a member of the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Stick around, everyone. We'll figure this life out. Together. Oh, wait, hang on. My new series, Wild Harvest, is airing now on American Public Television. Check to see which station's signal reaches your area. And that includes, by the way, Canada. It's all about local foraging. I take you out and teach you what you can gather for a wild edible feast. A feast prepared by a five-star chef, Paul Rogalski. As well, head over to my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud, where I'm uploading tons of free content weekly for you to enjoy, including archives, Survivor Man, Survivor Man Bigfoot, director's commentaries, and new music, just to mention a bit of what's there. The secret, by the way, is to click on the playlists. Lastly, and in time for Christmas, the second printing of my 20th anniversary film collection, featuring 76 films, is available through my website, lesstroud.ca. Okay, thanks. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? Click on subscribe, and then click on something else. Or... Go be productive. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 